I tell you, I'm really, really fired up about going into Acts. It is just, oh, it's great. Thank you, Eric, for opening Acts last week. The big challenge I have right now is not just repeating what Eric did last week. Because when I heard him introduce Acts to you, it was a lot of similarities with what I would do in introducing Acts. By the way, um, thank you for your prayers as we traveled last week for a family funeral. Pastor Sam Goble, for those who know him, sends his greetings to those who know him, including the two that were up here, whom he mentioned by name. So, and it was a very. Uh, Pastor Sam Goble knows CJ's uncle. Uh, they're they're friends, and he did half of the funeral service. So it was a very uh, edifying trip, despite the occasion. Uh, and, and in 2024, we've determined that we want to learn how to make disciples differently. Making disciples differently. Jesus said that's the Great Commission, and the book of Acts is going to teach us how to do this. When we want to learn how to make disciples differently, we don't just want to be different for the sake of different. We want to be different in that we go back to the original model and make disciples as we see in the Bible. Now, for... Here's the wonderful thing about going into the book of Acts, and there's many wonderful things. But one of them is this. I have here, in your bulletin, you have a spaghetti fundraiser, right? Everyone take that out. You can read it. You can see. And the best part of all, of course, is there's a fork with spaghetti wrapped around it on the right side, right? Very nice flyer. But what happens very often is when you make copies, sometimes we don't always use the original. We make copies from a copy. I have 10 generations of copies here in my hand. And I'm noticing that as we make copies from copies, it starts to dull. The first thing is you lose the spaghetti. And that's very sad. I can see John has a tear coming down. Don't lose the spaghetti. Oh, that spaghetti is disappearing. I'm getting sadder by the second. Spaghetti, less spaghetti, less spaghetti. But now the words are starting to blur. By the time you get to generation 10, I can't read the date. I can't barely read the time. I can, all I can see is $10. I can barely read any of it. And there is no, unless you already know that that's a fork holding spaghetti, you would never know that it ever was there. Sometimes in the church, we need to go back to the original, the book of Acts. And we need to see how it started and how God built the church at first. Not use copies of copies of copies. We got a lot more than 10 generations of church. We have thousands of generations of church, right? And it's very easy to get caught up in tradition and things that have gone on for thousands of years and lose the sense of the original. Now, here's something we don't want to fall prey to, though. The early church was not perfect. Some of what we're going to have in Acts, we're going to see that they were very, very wrong. And what we learn from them is not how to be, but how not to be. However, the cool thing is that Acts also has some great problem-solving. It shows us how they addressed issues, how they addressed the heirs of the early church, and moved on past them in a God-honoring way. But I want to be re clear to you that not everything in the early church was good. Well, what is good 
is how the Lord took hold and the Holy Spirit moved the church on out and grew the church. That's what we want to be, a church that makes disciples. Now, let's look at Acts 1.1. In my former book, Theophilus, stop. Former book is Acts, the book of, I mean, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the author of uh, Acts is Luke. Theophilus apparently is a Roman official who... Luke was writing to, to get to detail the life of Jesus, and the second volume, he details the life of the church. That's the book of Acts. So you can look at the book of Acts and Luke as one, vo one large volume with the Gospel of John in between. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Notice how it says in verse 1. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until, verse 2, the day he was taken up into heaven. So it's about his earthly life until he was taken into heaven at the ascension, which is how the book of, the book of Luke ends. After giving instructions to the Holy, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, there was a period of time when Jesus rose from the dead, and then he stayed on earth for 40 days. And in that time, he gave instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. In other words, Jesus had like a little training camp for his apostles, right? He got them together, and we're going to learn what he did. And today, we're going to go into training camp with Jesus, and we're going to see what is it that he taught them that we need to learn as well as we go into the book of Acts and seek to learn to make disciples as he would have us. The book of Acts is the continuation. The book, Gospel of Luke tells us what Jesus began to do and teach in his earthly life. The book of Acts tells us what Jesus continues to do from heaven, through his church, by the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is for us. Yes, Jesus' earthly life is finished history, right? It happened, it's not going to happen again. But Acts is unfinished history. Every day we're creating new history. Like the book, in fact, there's a church network called Acts 29 Network. Because Acts has 28 chapters, and the assumption is that we should be writing chapter 29 as the church with our lives. That's an exciting possibility. Hey, I'm looking right now at Jesus continued. Jesus began. He went up to heaven, and now Jesus continues. Now, what does that do to you? That's big. That's who we are. The body of Christ. We're so used to hearing the word, we miss the significance. You are Jesus continued to the world. Jesus' work on the cross and resurrection, and he's now reigning in heaven. But the work of reaching the world is not complete, and that's where Jesus continued comes in. So Acts is such a great, personal, and powerful account. Let's look at this training camp. First of all, we want to be fully convinced about Jesus. Okay? 
We want to be fully convinced because Jesus met with his apostles and he wanted them to be convinced about him. And here's the first thing he wanted to be convinced about in verse 3. Jesus is risen. After his suffering, after he died, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, I want to look at this. This is amazing. He presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs. Number one, he presented himself to them. It's a word that is more than just he showed up. It's like he came to show himself. The very act of presenting himself was a big deal. Then he gave convincing proofs that he was alive. Well, wait a minute. He, he's there. How can he? Why does... It was important that he gave convincing proofs that he was alive. You say, how can that be? Well, do people normally die and come back to life? No, so you, you need some evidence that that happened, right? No matter what the circumstances. It says in the Gospel of Luke that they did, some of them didn't believe because they were overwhelmed with joy. I mean, they were so happy, but they're like, they couldn't even get a grip on it. We'd be the same. Then it says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Again, appeared to them. He didn't, he didn't just gather them and sit with them. He appeared. The word is where we get the word ophthalmologist. He showed himself. Their eyes beheld him. He appeared to them. He presented himself. He gave convincing proofs that he was alive. It was very, very important that these men knew. And perhaps women were in the crowd as well then. We don't know. They were in Acts chapter 1, but that he's alive. Now, here's what Jesus showed them. Here's these convincing proofs. Flip back to Luke chapter 24. Just kind of go back over the Gospel of John. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Whitmore, we're not stopping there today. By the way... One of the reasons the early church was persecuted was they were accused of cannibalism. Talking about eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. You're right on with that, letting us know that that's part of the significance of what we do every week. But in the end of the Gospel of Luke, starting in verse 36, chapter 24, verse 36, we're going to see when it says he presented himself and gave convincing proofs. Jesus here appears to the disciples. He appeared many times and did different things. But here it says, while they were still talking about this, about Jesus appearing, about Jesus being alive, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Why? Because the learning of the NIV doesn't say it as well, but he appeared. He was just there all of a sudden. Okay, so he, when he appeared, when Jesus appeared, he made an appearance, let me tell you. They thought they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? I wonder why. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. What's in his hands and feet? Nail marks, right, right. While they still not believe it because of joy and amazement, there it is. They were just overwhelmed. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He gave it, took it and ate it in their presence. Okay. 
He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, um, Jesus says, I'm not a ghost. Jesus appears to them. They're in a closed room, and he comes in there. So, and they're afraid that they've seen a ghost, and Jesus says, I want you to be clear about this. It's not that Jesus died, went to heaven, and now there's an appearance that's like a, a vision. Or it's not that there's an appearance that Jesus came as a spirit. It was Jesus' actual body that came into that room. The body he died in that still had the wounds that they could touch and put their hands in, and he ate with them. And it is essential belief of the church that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. Same body. Now, it went from an earthly body that died on the cross to a resurrection body <clears throat> that could appear, transmogrify. <laughs> but it was Jesus' actual body. That's an essential. That's the miracle. It was not a vision. It was not a dream. It was the actual Jesus the same body, the same person, just transformed. He conquered death and sin. He really did it. He rose from the grave. Jesus showed them this. If you go back to Luke now, to Acts now, I'm sorry. It's de I am destined to confuse the two in every time I talk. If I want you to go to Acts, I'll say Luke. And if I want to go to Luke, I'll say Acts. I already know that. <laughs> Anyone else like that sometimes? But um, look at chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 21. What happened is after Jesus went to heaven, the disciples got together in the upper room and they said, we need to replace Judas. He's no longer one of us. And verse 21, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. You see, that's why he had to appear to them, he had to present himself, he had to show inc incontrovertible proofs that he was alive, over and over. Because the point of the apostles is they were actual eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And we, our faith is built on eyewitness proof that Jesus rose from the grave. And our Bible in the New Testament is built on evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. Eyewitnesses saw Jesus, they wrote about it, and it has been passed on to us reliably. Look at Acts chapter 2. Let's look at just one example of the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost, starting in verse 32. <clears throat> verse 32 of chapter 2. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. There it is, witnesses. We are witnesses. And if you go on to chapter 3, verse 15, and the beginning of chapter 4, and all through, the point the apostles sake repeatedly is, we saw him. We are witnesses. They didn't say, hey, just believe. It's a good thing to believe. Doesn't it inspire you to think about Jesus rising from the dead? He said, we saw the risen Christ. We know he rose. We know he lives. We must have that same confidence. Okay? Now you may say, well, 
okay. There's a lot, of, a lot of people who claim they're believers and they don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Or they claim that he, was a, that he didn't really rise bodily, that, well, it was a spirit. And, you know, kind of the exact thing that Jesus was talking against in the Gospel of Luke, they say he, was, he appeared to them in spirit, not in body. It's only worth anything if he appeared and came back in the body that he was crucified in. Other than that, there is no miracle. There is no, not a miracle worthy of what the resurrection of Jesus is, which is the foundation of our faith. He only paid for our sins in reality and bought forgiveness for us if he could take his life back. If he didn't own his life to begin with, he couldn't offer it for our sin. But he did. The resurrection is a guarantee. Okay, now, why did he show them this? Well, he showed them this for several reasons. First of all, as I said, it had to be the same body. But notice in 3b, it says he, and this is important, he appeared to them, he showed himself, he came into the room over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, let me ask you a question. He spoke about the kingdom of God. In the kingdom, what do you have to have? Or who do you have to have? A king. Why was it so important? Because he's teaching the kingdom of God. He had to show them that he was the king. And if he didn't rise from the dead, he wasn't the king. He can't be the kingdom and the king of the kingdom of God. He cannot be the central focus of God's kingdom and God's work on earth if he stayed dead. And when Jesus appeared and showed himself alive, it was proof the kingdom of God has come. Jesus is overcome, we sang, and the grave is overwhelmed. Jesus is reigning, in other words. That's the second thing. We need, first of all, we need to be fully convinced of Jesus that he's risen, that secondly, that he's reigning. That he's reigning. This is vital. Look at verses... um, Actually, it would be uh, verse... uh, Oh yeah, verse 1, he was taken up. Verse 9, we read, after, after Jesus taught, he was taken up before their very eyes, a cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus ascends to heaven, we're going to see that. We're going to see one of the neglected aspects of the work of Jesus, at least often we don't talk about it nearly enough. Look at uh, Acts 2.32, where we were just a minute ago. God has raised, I could go all over the Bible, I'm trying to stay in Acts as much as I can because it's all there. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witness of it. Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Notice that. It's talking about Jesus being exalted to the heavens. To proclaim him as risen is to proclaim him as ascended and as king, as ruling. He's risen, he's reigning. Notice Hebrews. Chapter 1, verse 3. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It's on your outline. After he provided purification for sins, how? Where did he do that? The cross. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Notice what's missing? 
It sounds like he provided purification for sins and went right to heaven. John 20, 17, on your outline. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, talking to Mary Magdalene. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Jesus says, he's, Mary is seeing him alive for the first time, right? And he doesn't say, he, he does elsewhere, but he, he, here he says, tell them I'm ascending to the Father. You see, here's the point. When you say Jesus is risen on Easter, you're not just saying he's come back to life. You're saying he's exalted. He's at, he's at the right hand of God in heaven. He has conquered. He is reigning. He is king. This is important. This is how, this is how we know Jesus. It's all like one thing. He rose. He ascended. He reigns. Notice on your outline, Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> what a passage this is. And we're coming in the middle of a long sentence, so, but we're joining, and it says, that power is the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Again, raised from the dead, seated in the heavenly realms, all part of the same story. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He rules. How vital is that? It's all like one act. <clears throat> if we didn't read elsewhere in the Gospels and Acts, we might think, if you just read this in Ephesians, or you just read that part in John, or in Hebrews, what we did, you might think that Jesus died and was taken right to heaven and seated at the right hand of God. But instead of that, God said, no, no, we're going to arrange a full burial because we're reaching human beings and they need to see proof, incontrovertible proof, that Jesus conquered death and sin. Burial. And then there's a time period where Jesus worked with his apostles because they needed him. It's all like the gospel the good news of great joy, the resurrection and ascension are two movements of one great sweeping eternity altering symphony of salvation by Jesus, our Savior and King. So when you think about the resurrection of Jesus, we're thinking also about his exaltation. He is King of kings. He rules at the right hand of God. He's with his Father. The story of Christ does not end with a distressed Jesus in the garden. It doesn't end with a crucified Christ on the cross. It doesn't simply end with a resurrected Christ who's come back to life, but with an ascended, reigning king of heaven. As it says in Ephesians, king over everything. Jesus is reigning. Here's, and then we need to be convinced of one more thing. Jesus is returning. Verse 11. Well, let's, let's go. He was taken, verse 9, but before their very eyes a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Jesus, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? I've never understood that question, probably never will. They've just seen Jesus be taken to heaven. Why are they looking up into the sky? Because Jesus just, just was taken up into heaven. But anyway, the angel asked, 
Far be it for me to make fun of an angel. The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. Now that doesn't convince me not to, that makes me want to look up more. <laughs> right? And we are to look up more. Not to stand there sky gazing, but to be looking for his return. Because the fact that Jesus rose and the, those movements of the same symphony of salvation, he is now reigning at the right hand of God, he's coming back. Power belongs to the one who was and is to come, as we sang. We sang a great string of songs that gave us this message this morning. So we need to be fully convinced about Jesus. Secondly, Jesus taught him, his disciples, in this little mini training camp here for 40 days, that we need to be fully dependent on the Spirit, on Holy Spirit power. Notice verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1. <clears throat> On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice on your outline, I have a list of scriptures. Okay? And it, it's, there, Jesus did not start talking about the Holy Spirit out of nowhere. This comes from, an, from all the ancient teaching of the Hebrew scriptures. But that the Holy Spirit is going to come through Jesus. The Spirit, Isaiah 61, one of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And it goes on. And Jesus quoted this of himself in, interestingly enough, Luke chapter 4. Luke is telling a narrative here. Luke 3, 6, Jesus answered the Pharisees, religious leaders, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come with, this is John the Baptist, with straps whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then we see in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Verse chapter 4, verse 1 of Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Did you ever do a study on the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' earthly life? It's not small. Jesus lived for, to do the will of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Jesus lived to do the will of the Father, and he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this little training camp time, he is preparing us to do the same. And it says many times in the Gospels, Jesus, by the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, etc. Notice what he says at the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city till you've been clothed with power from on high. Same as Acts, right? because it's the same author repeating what was in the last chapter of Luke. And Jesus was the Spirit-anointed Messiah. He came in the power of the Holy Spirit received the Holy Spirit, lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, he now, as we read in John, 
this amazing passage. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, I'm not sure how loud I can do this, but let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to relate or to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So what Jesus is preparing them for is that I'm telling you, you need to go and make disciples of all nations. Go preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But guess what? You can't do it! He didn't say it quite that way. But that's, what it's, that's the truth. And everything we read <clears throat> about how to live the Christian life and how to live a life that pleases God, those that are in the flesh, it says in Romans 8, 6, can not please God. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 8 was the answer to living a life that pleases God? Living in the spirit. You can't do it. You will receive power. Wait here and don't move until the Spirit comes into your life. And the point is that we are not meant to live for Jesus apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave the promise and the apostles and the disciples got the power and out they went to change the world. It's only... We need the message of the resurrection, the understanding that Jesus is reigning. That's the message we preach. But we also need the power. I used, to th- I used to think that, you know, it was important to know that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what changed the disciples' lives. Is that true? Only partially. That message did change their lives to a degree, but it wasn't until the Spirit came and indwelt them that they went out and changed the world and they were transformed. It's a combination of truth and power. Brothers and sisters, I'm looking at the continuation of Jesus, and we will do it only in truth and power. We cannot have one or the other. The truth of the word, the truth of what Jesus did, the truth of his word combined with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit brings the Word to life. The Spirit makes it a living document. The Spirit moves us and teaches us how to live the life that Jesus calls us to live. We, we see love one another, but the Spirit tells us how we love one another and moves us to do it and convicts us to do it, right? We preach the gospel to the world and they hear the message, but they don't get it until the Spirit moves and convicts them and gives us new birth. Basically, being a Christian is receiving the Holy Spirit because we're born again of the Spirit. Until we're born of the Spirit, we're not Christians. So when we, when, as on Wednesday nights, talking about the relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we'll be doing a lot of that in the book of Acts, obviously, we're talking about something that is absolutely essential. This is Christianity. Well... I'm a Christian. I'm not one of those people that talk about the Holy and walk in the Holy Spirit. Well, you're in pretty bad shape then. Because the Bible tells me that in Romans, if you walk in the flesh, you can't please God. It's only in the power of the Spirit that you can live a life that God recognizes and honors. 
And we are only Christians if we receive that new birth. Not because we've decided we want to try being a Christian somehow and turn over a new leaf. The Spirit has to turn over the leaf for us. So, I highly recommend. There's an insert in your bulletin on the Holy Spirit. Even if you can't come on Wednesdays, I think I'm speaking for Eric, but I've got the microphone so I can keep talking, even if I'm not. Even, let's say that you can't make Wednesdays for a very good reason. Look at weekly at the verses that are listed and, and, and read those and do, do it and do the exercise that's on that handout about the Holy Spirit. Because he is our life. He is our everything. He's the reason we're here. He's the reason there is a church. There are Christians. He's the reason there is a Bible. It's not too often we treat the Holy Spirit like he's in extra part. Some people are Christians and some people are Christians and they have this extra thing. No, 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 no. That's not the way it is. The Holy Spirit is life. Until then we're spiritually dead, separated from God, lost, condemned. The Spirit rescues, gives us new life. All that to say that we are not to try to live the Christian life in our power. Jesus says, stay put. The Spirit will come and empower you. He says, Peter, I can imagine, don't speak. Stay put, Peter. Thomas, quiet, sit down. When the Spirit comes, you're going to go. And Thomas, legend says, went to not legend, I should say tradition, says went to India and evangelized there. Uh, fully dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own. And last, fully focused on the Great Commission. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. If there's anything we've learned from history... And if there's anything we've learned from life, cannot trust humans with power. Any kind of power. You can't trust Christians with physical power. You, not, not Christians, humans. You can't trust humans with intellectual power, emotional power, you cannot trust humans with power from the Spirit if they're not walking according to God's priorities and God's guardrails. We can't handle power. We lord it over one another. We get puffed up and abusive. There's only one human being who could ever be trusted with power. Who is that? the one who had the most power ever, Jesus. And the only way that we can be trusted with the power of the Spirit is to follow Jesus. If we've got our own agenda, if we've got our own ideas, if we've got our own will, and that's what we're living for, we will abuse power, even the power of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, they were, they were competing and one-upping one another by their spiritual gifts. I'm showing that I'm better than Jeff because of my gift. And Jeff is trying to show that he's better than me because of his gift. 
Is that abuse of the power of the Spirit? That's what I'm talking about. And I, I'm sure that we've all seen this and maybe done this. We've got to walk. So here's what we need to know. This is why we exist. To be witnesses of Jesus. Not to do our own thing. Not to be good citizens. Not to be successful in worldly pursuits. Those things might be good to have a role in our mission, but we need to be committed to mission. Our lives are about this mission. Why are we always talking about the mission? Because that's why we're here. By the way, the first thing that this verse teaches us is not that we should reach our community and our region and then other countries. That what first thing this verse teaches us is gratitude and praise. Why? Because when this was spoken, where were we? We're the ends of the earth. And they, they followed Jesus and the Holy Spirit catapulted them out to the ends of the earth and here we are. We can't even begin to be our witnesses for Jesus in Jerusalem and other places until we realize, praise God, we're here because of this. We're here because Jesus moved the church out of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. We are the ends of the earth. Start with that gratitude. Start with that worship and praise that our king rose from the grave, ascended to the right hand of the Father, uh, reigns in heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, and moved his church. And over thousands of years, here we are. Are you glad you're a Christian? Are you glad God's your Father? Then now we apply it secondhand. The application is Ravenna or Streetsboro or whatever, this, in the immediate. Now we talk about maybe Northeast Ohio, Ohio, Samaria, cross-cultural. Maybe there's different cultures right within us. And then world missions to the ends of the earth. But it's first a praise report for us that, wow, praise God. God has not abandoned us and he did not leave us to our own ways. He came and rescued us by catapulting the church, by Jesus continued. Right? You know, book X is too exhausting. It's just too good. I want to take you to a scripture now. Acts chapter 5. Okay. Now, Peter and the apostles had just, and this is our closing application. You say, what does closing mean? 25 more minutes. No, just kidding. Peter, so the church has just been told by the authorities, don't you preach in Jesus' name anymore. Peter's answer, and the other apostles, they all, we must obey God rather than human beings. Now here's why. Verse 30. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. There's what we saw in Acts chapter 1. Whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. We saw that in Acts 1 he, after his suffering. Verse 31. 
God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior. We saw that, that he was raised to heaven, and now, you see, it's all there. Everything that we talked about in Acts chapter 1 is here. That he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Repent, be forgiven of your sins. Jesus died to pay the price. He rose from the grave. He rules. And go on in the next verse. We are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit, who God has given to those who obey him. It's all here. But here's the funny thing about this, the wonderful thing about this. He says, these things are the reason we must obey God rather than other people. Here's what we conclude from all this. We must obey God. And God says, I'm giving you the Spirit for a reason. Not so you can get a bigger house or a promotion. Those things, get all those things if you can. That's great, but that's not why we live. We don't live to get in a better neighborhood. We don't live to be more popular. We don't live to get more degrees. We don't live to have the easy life. We live to obey God. And he says you're here to bear witness of Jesus wherever you are. Just as someone bore witness to you because the mission started back in Acts chapter 1 and it's gotten to us all the way in Ravenna, Ohio. It reached me in Cleveland. Where did it reach you? Shout it out. Where were you saved? Just shout out where you were saved. Wow. Where were you saved? Because of all that we've seen that Jesus teaches in training camp. Fully confident of Jesus. He rose, he's risen, he reigns, he's returning. Fully surrendered to the power of the Spirit and not our own self. And even when we get the power of the Spirit, we cannot handle power. Say that to yourself, I cannot handle power. Okay, we all think we're the exception. Eric can't handle power, but... Tim can't handle power, but... uh, Right? Bob, that Bob, certainly can't handle power, but me? Don't kid yourself. Not a one of us unless we say, we must obey God, not other humans. We must pursue the life and the priorities that he gives us in order for these things to take hold, in order for us to be an Acts church, a Jesus-continued church, a spirit-filled church. We must obey God rather than man. That's because that is the conclusion that, that the apostles had of all these truths. that they must obey God rather than man. There it is. What they were saying is, you're saying don't preach Jesus? Not an option. If there's a conflict between God and man, is there ever a conflict between what God says and what other people say? That's that's the world. The world is contrary to God. It may not be saying don't preach in the name of Jesus specifically, but it's telling you something about life that is not true, that's contrary to God's purpose. Obey God rather than people because of what Jesus taught, preparing us 
Does that message come through now? We probably all need to pray. We all, wait, I said probably. We all need to pray. And Jeff needs to play. His gift, he's going to compete with my gift now. See? Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Awesome choice. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. And we need to take this time to think, where am I not obeying God? Where are my priorities? Not the Great Commission, but rather my prestige, my wealth, my popularity, my comfort. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to be bothered with other people's problems. You can't live for Jesus that way. You can't live a Great Commission life that way. I want to be a Christian and get the comfort of God. I want to live that life. He will never leave you or forsake you. I know the plans for you, plans to prosper you and have peace. Oh, we love to claim those promises of peace and comfort and that, but (laughs) what about when he says that we are to be his witnesses? Amen. Father, give us the courage to look at our lives now and see where we've hijacked the life you've given us and take it in in the wrong direction. And Holy Spirit, help us to turn the plane around and go where you want us to go. Live for what you want us to live for. Don't let us use cheap excuses about what we're doing for the kingdom. Don't let us abuse the power of the Spirit anymore. Don't let us twist the word of God. Ignore your, your leading and your, well, the things you're saying to us and doing in our lives. And neglect, neglect your children. Neglect the world around us. Give us the courage to look honestly at what our lives are about. And to surrender and obey you rather than what the world says we should be. Give us the courage. Give us the insight through your spirit. Speak Holy Spirit. Fall afresh on us. Help us to not live by our, in our wisdom and our power and our desires, but to know, to thirst for that river of life, the river of living water, the Spirit. Because you are ascended, you are reigning, and you send the Spirit and fill us with your Spirit and give us the desires now to drink and be filled. Amen.